with me while I pray. Father, you are our good shepherd. We shall not want. You make us lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside still waters. You restore our souls. You have led us on the path of righteousness for your name's sake. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil for your right hand upholds us. Your rod and your staff protect us. You have prepared a table for us, even in the midst of our enemies. You have anointed our heads with oil. Our cup overflows. Regardless of how we feel in this moment, our cup overflows with your grace. And surely your goodness and loving mercy is pursuing us all the days of our lives. And we, your people, will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you would remain standing for the reading of God's word. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Mackenzie. I appreciate it. What a, what a sweet reminder and I'll tell you how that fits into what we're talking about today and um, as we go through the message, but I want to start with a prayer of Solomon and I just wanted to selfishly, I guess, take a couple of minutes of our time and pray for just God's anointing on this place on our first Sunday here. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, Solomon has prayed this prayer. David has given, his father David has given him everything he needed to build the temple. He has built the temple with God's help. And it says this in chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on, on the temple, they bowed down their faces to the ground on the pavement, and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now that, that temple does not exist anymore, and it actually didn't exist 
a few hundred years after Solomon had it built. And as they were preparing to rebuild the temple, the prophet Haggai wrote about God's refilling of the temple. And some of it was fulfilled when they rebuilt the temple that was there during the time of Jesus. And some of it is being fulfilled in us today. So if you, if you want to dare find the book of Haggai, um, you turn, if, you, if you go to the beginning of your New Testament, Matthew, and you start going to the left... It's going to be past Malachi is the first book or working backwards of your Old Testament. And then Haggai is sandwiched between the two Zs. Zechariah, um, yeah, so just find, so find Haggai. I'm, I, got, I don't have time to, to, to take on it, but find Haggai, if you would. So in Haggai chapter 2, the prophet of God says this. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not, is it not as nothing in your eyes? He's saying, are you making so little of the kingdom of God because the house of God isn't, is, isn't visible? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Zehodah, the high priest. Be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when, they, when you came out of Egypt. Right, as New Testament believers, we know that our, our day of salvation is our coming out of the slavery of sin. So he's saying, as you, I, I was with you when I brought you out. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Verse 6, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations will come in. And I will fill the house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I just thank you for that glimpse of glory that we already see. I thank you for the glory that was Solomon's temple. I thank you even for the glory that was the temple that existed when Jesus lived, but I thank you for the fact that those were just pointing to a future glory. That we are now your temple. That your body gathered together. Do, do you not know, your word says, that you together, plural, y'all, are the temple of the living God. This building, as great as it is and as big a blessing it is, is, as it is, was just a building until we came in here. And now it is the temple of the Almighty God because you indwell us. And when we gather together, we bring your presence into this place. And yet we even pray a special anointing upon this place. Lord, I want to pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the name that makes demons flee. I want to pray that you would compel Satan from this place. Not just today, but for its existence. Lord, that, that the that he is prowling around. He is trying to distract and devour. He is trying to bring fear and chaos, not just into the world, but even into this place. But he has no place here. For this place is filled with your spirit, and where the light is, the darkness flees. 
So let us act as children of light. Lord, I thank you for all the people, um, not just Josh and Jolene, but certainly them, and then all the others that I won't name because I'll leave somebody out. Lord, I, I, I pray that all of the hours, literal hours that were spent preparing this building for your anointing, I pray that you would redeem back that time and that every one of those people, whether they gave one hour or a hundred, that, that they would recognize that they did it as an act of service to you. Not to me, not to cross train, but to you. That their reward in heaven will be great. Because that prophet Haggai is not only prophesying, Lord, we, we know that, that is, as glorious as this is, this is just a taste of the glory that is to come. That ultimately the temple that's going to be more glorious than any other is the temple that you are going to build when you come again and restore all things. On that day, the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem are going to be magnificent. They will blow our minds. And in the meantime, Lord, let us be a people who cannot resist sipping from the just the, the beauty of your presence and being together. That we need these times, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week, to be in your word, to be together, to be reminded of what is good and right, and most of all, what is to come. That's why we gather here today. Lord, we gather here today in this place that you have blessed us with for one reason, and that is to glorify the name of Christ. If that is not why we're here, then stop it. So Lord, as we continue to worship you in the word, the word that you are, I pray that you would use it to conform us into the beautiful image of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in the magnificent name of Jesus that we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen, thank you. So if you haven't figured it out yet, we are here today talking about the glory of God. The Soli Deo Gloria, right, in, for the glory of God alone. And we've been talking through this Summer in the Solas series. I know many of you are just visiting us today, and thank you guys. Some of you drove, like, literally from, like, Me New Mexico to be here, but, um, or the East Valley, one of the two, but it's the same. Um, but, guys, we, we remember where we started in this series. We talked about being the Imago Dei, the image bearers of God. Right? Because if we don't understand that, that, the, that the whole story God is telling, the whole thing, is about the fact that he created us in his image, and by our rebellion, not Adam and Eve's rebellion, our rebellion, that image is not lost, but it's marred. And the rest of this story is him talking about how he is going to restore that marred image through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the story. That is the Imago Dei. And... and what the solas have been showing us is this is one way of communicating not just to ourselves and each other but even to a world why not just what we believe but why we believe it that the solo gratia that by grace alone that because god in his sovereignty just said i am going to grace you because i want to redeem and restore you so his grace not only saves us and seals us, but we talked about how it sets us into a family, into the family of God. How, how does that happen? Well, it's, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, sola fide. We talked about how our faith is our partnership with God, and all faith is, by his work of the Spirit in us, is our ability and affirmation of believing in the promises of God. That's what faith, faith is belief. In the promises of God. 
And then we talked about, so wait a minute, it's, if it's by his grace alone, in faith, or um, by grace, through faith alone, for, in what? In Christ alone, solus Christus. Right? It's all of that. We, we, there's lots of people that have faith. There's lots of people even, believe it or not, even in our atheistic world, of which I was part of for much of my life, guys, there are people that believe that, that oh, God is good and he's a good God. There are even people that, and I have faith. They have faith in a lot of things. Everybody has it. It's just a question of who you're placing your faith in. Right? Don't, the, what, what Solus Christus tells us is unless the faith that you have, that you're believing in, by the grace of God, is in Christ alone, you don't really have faith. You don't have saving faith. And then, and then we talked last week about, and all of that is according to this. According to scripture alone, sola scriptura. Now what we're talking about today is where all of those things find their culmination. For the glory of God alone, soli deo gloria. That guys, ultimately, if, if, if we are making our, our salvation and our faith in Christ and the word about us and just being a better version of us, and just having a, a stronger marriage or better families or a stronger church. Or, and, and it's not about, I mean, I love that for 10 years, Cornerstone slash Crosstrain has been devoted to preaching the word of God. But if the end was so that Cornerstone slash Crosstrain would be known as a, as a word preaching church, we lost. Ultimately, we do this because we, we preach the word because that brings God glory according to what we learned last week. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Philippians. Philippians is, in, is towards the end of your New Testament, or uh, towards the end of your Bible, in the middle of your New Testament. It goes Galatians, um, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you get to Colossians, you've gone too far. And what we're going to talk about today is how do we live in such a way that we bring God the most glory? Because I think we have this wrong in the church today. I think even Bible-believing, Bible-teaching I mean, strong theologically, strong doctrinally churches have this wrong today. Because what we believe is, if we bring God the most glory by, by being better, that is not what brings God the most glory. There are lots of religions out there that challenge and demand that their people just be better. That is not the gospel. But I get ahead of myself, so we're going to get to, in this passage we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 9 or 1 through 11 and we're just going to look at two points how do we live in the way in a way that brings God the most glory we live according to Christ's humility and we live according to Christ or in Christ's exaltation those are the two things Paul is going to show us today so this conversation we're having today the the truth that that is driving this and we are going to actually take some time I hope Lord willing and, and actually give you a chance to turn and talk to your neighbor about a few things that we're talking about today, is you, this truth is, that's going to drive our conversation is, how do we change what we see about glorifying God, ultimately? How do we change what we, what we think we know, I guess, about glorifying God? So let's pick it up in our first point. We live in Christ's humility. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. He says this, so if... There is any encouragement in Christ. I'm going to stop there for a second. Because as I was studying this passage, guys, 
I'm no Greek scholar. Just because I had a couple years of Greek doesn't make me a scholar. But I will tell you that the word if there is really important. And some of the translations don't, like, don't, even, don't even present it like the ESV or the NASV might just like, like even they at least put so if there isn't any encouragement in Christ. Here's the problem with the way our, our English translations translate it. it. It sounds like Paul is asking a question. So man, if there's, if there's any encouragement in Christ, he's not asking us a question. He's making a statement. The word if there is actually a clause of certainty in the Greek. So what he really means, and the reason they translate the way they do is because it's really hard to understand. Like in English, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Because in English, it would be more, it would be something like, if since there is, which we don't talk that way anymore. If since there is encouragement in Christ, and then if you keep going, he says, any form, from, any comfort from love any participation of the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Guys, even there, it sounds like, it sounds like Paul's doing one of these. Like, well, maybe. That's not what he's talking about. Actually, the word, even the word that we translate, or at least the ESV translates any, any comfort from love, any participation of the Spirit, it actually is often translated since. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's, it's, often, trans, it's often translated some, not since. Some, the word, so, so, so it could read, there is, so, so let me kind of start from the beginning. Here's how it could read in English. Since Christ has done all these things, he's given us some comfort from love. He's given us some participation in the spirit and affection and sympathy. Since, if since that is your reality, since Christ has done all that for you, now you go do what he's going to say next which is verse 2. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Guys, what do you hear in verse 2? I'm asking. What do you hear? Have the same, he's saying, complete my joy by, so here's, so here, because of, since Christ has done this for you, complete my joy by having the same mind, same love, and being, a, and being in full accord with one mind. What is the theme of verse 2 alone? What? Imitate Christ. Okay, that could be part of it. Imitate Christ. He's going to get there later. Unity. Right, do you see the word same and one? What, what's the point Paul's driving to? He's saying, guys, if, if, if since Christ has done this, man, Stick together. Right? He, now, he's going to go on to imitate Christ. He's going to go on to, but he starts with, guys, stick together. Unity matters. You know why unity matters in the context of what, he's, of what Paul's talking about here? Because you know what it takes to have unity? Humility. It, it, what it takes to have unity, for Carrie and I to have unity in our marriage, we both have to humble ourselves. Because if I stand over here and go, which I'm prone to do in my flesh, this is what I want, this is how I want it done, this is whatever. Is that creating unity between Carrie and I? Is that have the potential of creating unity? No. And if you've been married very long, you understand that it actually creates the exact opposite of unity. So Paul's point is, guys, if, if you want to live like Christ, if you want to model Christ, if you want to glorify God, which is where we're going to get at the end of this passage, then what you, it has to start... With humility. And we really, really don't like that word. 
Humility is not part of the American experience. It just isn't. We are all about charging forward, getting our way, doing our thing, taking more ground. We are, guys, but remember, I've, I've, I've shared this a few times, and, and we actually have about 50 copies of this book coming sometime this month. I don't know why it's taking them so long. It's a book called Gentle and Lowly. Because the one time that Jesus describes his own heart, when he says, for I am, he doesn't say I am forceful and, um, and, and um, arrogant. He doesn't even say something like, I am powerful and a leader in, in my heart. He says, I am gentle and humble in heart. Right? So, and if we're supposed to be like Christ, that's, and man, I, honestly, those two words, I read that book. I'm on my process of rereading it the second time because I just don't like it. I mean, it took me forever to get through that book because I'm like, ah, I don't really, or Ortland, I just, I've had enough of you. Like, seriously. Because it's reminding me of all the things I'm not yet. And, and that's what this passage is doing to me as well. So, let's keep going in verse 3. He says, do nothing out of, because Paul's now, Paul, way better than Dane Ortland in a book, Paul is going to say, here's why humility is what we're supposed to be about. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in, there it is, humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Yeah, just, I, I'm just going to give you a second. Just read verse 3 by yourself. No, really. Now, I want you to think, and this, I, I, this isn't in my notes. It's just, like, I want you to think to yourself, in your life, tomorrow, Monday morning, here it comes, bam, in the face, in your life, in your family, in your house, at your place of work, as you're driving to and from your place of work or school, how often do you do verse 3? Don't answer. Out loud. Right? How, how often do you consider others more significant as yourselves? Yeah, but I have to get to work on time. There is no way this person is merging in front of me on the freeway. Wait, where is verse 3 there, right? Now, let each of you not let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And here's what's so interesting. Like, it's like Paul is driving home the point of verse 3 in verse 4, and he's and he's even gonna drive home, driving home the point. Here's what I mean by that. That that word of contrast in the second half of verse 4, but also is the Greek word Allah. It is it is the strongest but that you'll it's like it, he is saying. He that's, why they, that's why in the ESV it says, but also. He is saying, don't just look, don't just not look to yourself, but also, pay attention, better do this. This is important. It's a command. It's the strongest way I can say this, people. Look out for the interest of others. Here's the thing about being a Christian. The way up for us is down. The way up for us is down. And guys, that does not sell well. It doesn't, and I'm talking about my own heart. It does not sell well. Preferring others does not sell well. Right? And, 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 I'm, and again, I'm just talking about it even in my own heart, in, our, in my family. And, and, but the, the reality is, the countercultural reality that Jesus made abundantly clear, and, we've, and I've preached on and turned to a zillion times, is at the beginning of his longest teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Go back, don't, not right now I'm preaching, but, but go back and look at Matthew 5, verses 1 through 13, and tell me if that describes 
our culture, or some completely radical way of living. And it describes what Paul's talking about here. Keep going. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. So ultimately now he's going to point. He's saying, here's the deal. If since Christ has done this, he's done it. Now you behave this way. Those are the last, the other, the verses three and four. And then he's saying, and oh, by the way, here is the living proof of why. And what he mean, what I mean by that is, you, you look at what he says. It's have this mind, which, oh, by the way, was also Christ's. Actually, is, is the way the end of verse 5 would, should read, or could read. Verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a certain servant, being born in the likeness of men. Guys, I think we take that, that, that passage, that, that whole concept, we, get, we go, oh yeah, I, I get it. I get, that, I get that as a Christian, I'm supposed to be Christ-like. I get that, I even, I'm even sort of buying what Doug is talking about, about gentle and lowly and gentle and humble of heart. But I think it's so easy for us to turn the page because we don't spend enough time thinking about who Christ really is. Who he was, who he was in the flesh, and who he will be. Remember the, the quote I mentioned? I don't even remember who the quote was by last week. I can't, but, but he talked about how if, we spent if I said spend five minutes just thinking about Jesus, it would freak most of us out because most of us don't know five minutes worth of Jesus. Right? That that's the reality of the, cult of the church culture we live in. And so, guys, if we would just spend time meditating on and praying through John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and nothing that has come into being has come into being apart from him. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Guys, why am I quoting that? Because that's the Jesus Paul is telling us to, to humbly submit our lives to. He's saying that, that Jesus, the one who created everything, who holds it all together by the word of his power, Paul tells us in Colossians. That Jesus is the Jesus that came and lived among us. And he goes on in the Gospel of John, and he says, there was a man who sent from God whose name was John. He, he himself was not the light, but he came to testify about the light, so that people would believe through him. There was the light that enlightens everyone that was entering the world. Christ is coming, is what John, the John's Gospel is saying. This Christ is coming. He says he came into the world that he created, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to those who do receive him, who believe in his name, John tells us. Now, now hold on to that, because that's where we're going to end. That's where Paul ends chapter two, the passage in chapter 2. For those who receive him and believe in the name of Jesus Christ, what did he do? He gave them the right to be called children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh. It means we didn't do it. The will of man, but of God. Now here's the thing. That Jesus that we're supposed to model our lives after. That Jesus that's supposed to motivate us to be to humility. That Jesus, he came, lived, and he, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we beheld his... He, I'm sorry, that's really bad. And he, his word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we beheld his glory. What are we talking about today, guys? Glory. 
We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Guys, at the end of that passage in John, you know how John ends? He's, he's bringing it full circle, and he's going to connect it back in verse 18 of John 1. He says, no one has seen the glory of God, but Jesus Christ, whom he sent, he has revealed it. Guys, I know you're not getting it because I see a lot of blank faces, and maybe it's because you've been sitting for a while. I feel like you ought to stand up and do jumping jacks. In your bulletin, there is a list of, guys, if you don't get this, if you walk out of here just going, I need to work on being more humble as a Christian, I'm just telling you, it will not last through lunch. It won't. It just won't. Just walk out of here going, I need to think a lot more about Jesus. I need to spend a lot more time with Jesus in the word. Because that will make you humble. Because this whole book is about him. This whole thing. That is ultimately what Paul is talking about. So in this handout it talks about, I'm just going to read parts of it. It says, in Genesis, he, this is Jesus is saying, I am the I am. John tells us that like a bunch of times in his gospel. I am the I am. And he says, I was the word creating heaven in the beginning. I was the Passover lamb. I was the holy place. I was the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. I was the comforting or the coming prophet who was greater than Moses. I was the conquering warrior. I was the one to whom who's, through, through my eyes you can do what is right. He tells us in Judges. In Ruth, I was your kinsman redeemer. That's what, that's, that's what this book, you, you read it and you go, guys, find, don't read this book, don't read the Bible to find a better version of you. Read this book to find the better Christ, because he is better. And so, in, in first and second Samuel, he is the shepherd king. David was awesome, he wasn't Jesus. First and second kings, I was the good king. First and second chronicles, I was the establisher of the kingdom. He was the scribe in Ezra. He was the rebuilder of the walls in Nehemiah. He was the advocate in the throne room in Esther. He was the living redeemer when Job needed him. He was the one who hears your heart's cry in Psalms. He was the wisdom of the wise. He was the meaning of the madness. He was the, the passion that Solomon conveys in the Song of Solomon. He was a wonderful, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father, the almighty one that Isaiah talks about so much. He was the spirit who writes his word on the hearts of men in Jeremiah. He was the weeping prophet. He was the river that brings life. He was the fourth man in the fire in Daniel. He was the faithful husband in Hosea. He was the restorer in Joel. In Amos, he was the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he was the judge of all the years. In Jonah, he was the prophet that was cast into the sea and cast and calmed the storm. In Micah, he was the ruler born in Bethlehem. In Nahum, he was the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he was the reason to rejoice even in suffering. In Zephaniah, he was the great reformer. In Haggai, he was the cleansing fountain. In Zechariah, he was the peace, the pierced son. In Malachi, he was the son of righteousness. And he's not done. Amen. Guys, he's just not done. He's not even done in here. We just got, I just went through the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he is the king of the Jews. He's the son of God. He's the sacrificial servant. He is the great I am, the almighty, the word made flesh. He is the power in our witness. He is the justifier out of Romans. He is the spirit that it's work in the church. In first, he's, he's the one that's doing this, not us. Yeah, we had faithful servants come, clean some floors, paint some walls, do some stuff. But he's the one doing this. Because he's the one at work in the church. He is the righteous. He's the divine armor. He's the one who meets our every need. 
In, the, in Colossians, the book after Philippians, he is the firstborn of all creation. It means he has the highest place in all of creation. He is returning in the clouds and saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. He is the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he is the faithful pastor. I'm not. He is. He is the promoter of the one restoring service to him. He is the great high priest. He is the work in our faith. He is the living cornerstone. He is the righteous advocate. He is the one who presents us faultless and with great glory. And in the last book of the Bible, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come. Why take the time to go through all that? Because if you're missing, if you don't see that and go, man, he, he is in every one of these letters, books, historical narratives in this, in this book that we call the Bible. If we don't see that he is the point, we miss the point. We have made salvation, we have made Christianity all about us. That's, to bring us back, that's Paul's point. Don't be selfish, but in humility, see others as better than yourself. Why? Because compared to the surpassing beauty and majesty that is Christ Jesus my Lord, I am nothing. What do I have to brag about? Look at your table talk question. How is humility related to God's glory? It's in your bulletin if you got one. I know we ran out. I apologize, but it's a good problem to have, as I was reminded. How is, your, how is humility related to God's glory? Exactly how did, Christ hum, how did Christ humbling himself, not how did he humble himself, but how is his humbling of himself bringing glory to the Father? Take, I, I want you to turn right now. I'm going to give you two minutes. To turn, and I'm going to ask some tables to have an answer. So ready? So you're going to, you're going to, that's the question. Go. Thirty seconds. Elect a spokesperson. We'll see right now if uh, by how we elect a spokesperson, we'll see right now how verse three plays out. Because I'm 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 hearing a little bit of bus throwing under right over here at this table. Okay, so here's the question. How did Christ's humility, I'm sorry, how did Christ humbling himself glorify God? How did it, not, not how did he humble himself, but how did the fact that he did humble himself, 
How did that bring God glory, the Father glory? Who wants to share something? He did his Father's will. Awesome. Scott. Such a great point. And I know it's hard to hear, and we'll figure out, you know, like the, for the first service, I think this is going remarkably well. I mean, like, honestly, as far as AC, I'm talking about just AC and sound equipment. I mean, praise the Lord. Th and thank you guys for putting all the effort into it. But we'll figure out a way to get mics to people that are talking. But bo the bottom line is what Scott was saying was that he, he had the ability to, like, to not only physically heal people but forgive their sin, but he always pointed that back to his dad, to his father. Guys, I mean, we all know if you had that power, and there's a reason you don't. Right? Because, man, it would be, yes, yeah, so absolutely. But, but ultimately, I mean, and there's, all, there's lots of really good answers. Here's the ultimate answer that I want you to think about as it applies to today's message. That ultimately, what was the thing that, that proved his willing submission to the Father? What was the one thing? Was it just say, pointing to God? What was it? The cross. That's what Paul just told us. Guys, that right there ought to show us just exactly how important understanding who Christ is to understanding God's redemptive mission. Right? Like without, without understanding the, as best as we're able the fullness of Christ, we cannot appreciate the story, the, the redemptive story that God is telling. The, the cross proved not only that Jesus is who he says he was, but it also proved that he was willing to do whatever the Father told him to do. And we're supposed to be like that. So now, how do we live bringing God glory? First of all, we have to be in Christ's humility. We have to, we have to um, live in Christ's humility. That's probably the hardest one. The second point goes quicker, actually, because it's, it's honestly, I think, easier for us in some ways. And that is that we live in Christ's exaltation. Because there's, there's cost in both. There's a cost in exalting Christ. And we'll get there in just a minute. But there's also a cost in practicing humility, and that's what you don't get what you want. So let's look at verse 9 of chapter 2. It says, Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him, that to him obviously there is Jesus, the name above every name. Guys, now, now understand that sometimes we think that Jesus Christ, like Christ is Jesus' last name. Right? It's not. It's Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Messiah is the, is the one that all of these promises are about. So he's saying, what he's saying here is he's not saying he gave him a name or a title. He's saying what God did was confirm his role and his purpose. By saying Jesus is the Christ, what we're saying is he is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Now, keep going. It says, so that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and on heaven and on earth and under the earth. All Paul's doing there is, and you're going to read about this in your daily readings, which are in your bulletin, 
we email them to you. We make this really easy for you. So how to keep this conversation, how to, what we're talking about today, you can, you can think about and chew on all week in groups or just at your coffee table or wherever you do your Bible time. But in Isaiah 45, verse 23, Paul's just pulling that out and he's talking about it. And ultimately what he's trying to point out, what Isaiah was pointing out and what, and what Paul's pointing out is there is no place anywhere outside of the reach of Christ's authority. When he, sa- when he says that, that every knee will bow in heaven, the angels, on earth, humans, and under the earth, demons. That's Paul's way of saying those three. Those three groups, all of them are under the authority of Christ. And someday, all of them will bow to him. It says, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now get this, to the glory of God the Father, to the glory of God. Do you see how Paul tells us we bring, we live in a way that brings God the most glory? By not only personally confessing Jesus as Lord, but by helping other people come to that place of confessing Jesus as Lord. Guys, do you know that, that, the, that the phrase, Jesus Christ is Lord, was the first, um, was the, like the earliest Christian creed? In the early church, why is it, for us? It's I mean, Christ Jesus is Lord. I mean, if you've been if you've been in the church very long at all, you, you're like, yeah, this is pretty commonplace. Like that's a pretty common saying. It wasn't for them because here's what they were saying. They were saying Jesus that that again, you got to go back two thousand years like and not bring all of our baggage. But they were saying Jesus that that man that the word that became flesh that hung on a cross. He he is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. He is the one who is and was and is to cut. Come and, 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 get, and it gets bigger. So it's not only was Jesus, that man, Messiah, the fulfillment of the promises. He is Lord. He, there, here's, what here's what that early creed, why they would, they would actually sing it. Christ Jesus is Yahweh, is what they were saying. When they said Christ Jesus is Lord, what they meant is Jesus is God. Now, why is that? So for us, we go, yeah, I, I know that, Doug. There's a whole lot of churches out there that profess faith in Christ that don't know that, Doug. Right? The, most of the cults, or, or, or even just other churches that I'm not even trying to put into a cult that add a lot to the gospel, it's Jesus plus. It's be, it, they are, by definition, diminishing who Christ is. And some of them just aren't even, they're not even hiding it. Jesus is the spiritual brother of Lucifer. Wait, no, he's not. He's Yahweh. Right, Jesus was just Jesus was just the Son of God, but he was not Jehovah. Yes, he was. It says so right here, and over and over and over in this book. And if we don't believe that Jesus is God, then you don't really believe the gospel. Because unless he's unless he is God, he could not do what he had to do. Only God could die for the sins of all humanity. So, so in this thing, this incarnation, it's, that was such a huge deal to the church that we just sort of take for granted. The word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. We take that almost for granted. It was a, what there, it was a massive deal. God took on, he, by, by, by willingly emptying himself, we just read, taking on the appearance of a man. It just means taking on this fleshly form. He became fully man and yet stayed fully God. How does that work? I have no idea. I'm just praising the Lord it does because only as man could he die for Doug's sins. And only as God could his death actually atone for my sin. 
So we have to, we have to embrace this idea that Jesus is Lord. And we have to embrace this idea that we need to confess him that way. See, he, and, and so I'm going to wrap it up with this, and, and we're going to go into our time of response here in just a minute. I started out at the beginning, like, the church is kind of broken in that what we've, what, here's, what we've, here's what we are projecting to the world and to each other. Being a Christian just means being more moral. As long as you're more moral, as long as you're not as bad as those people, as long as you're not looking at that stuff, as long as you're not shacking up with your boyfriend or girlfriend, as long as you're not filling the blank. Now, does God care about those things? Absolutely he does. That's what a lot of this is about. But what we've sold is, you know what, Christianity is, you put on Christianity and you will have a better marriage. You will have a better family. You will just, you'll, you'll run a more honest business. Like, like as long, and as long as we're doing that, that's how we bring God glory. Like, that, that's, that is the bar we've settled on. We will bring God glory as long as I don't cheat on my income taxes. Now, does God want us to be honest on our income taxes or in our business dealings? Does God want us to be, uh, like, to have good marriages and strong families? Of course he does. There's a lot in here about that. But that's not what's bringing God glory. That is a byproduct, all of those things, whatever, and, and, and countless others that we project on each other all the time are just a, are, are meant by God to be a byproduct of basking in God's glory. They're not meant to be the thing. We've sold them as a thing. The thing is Jesus. The thing is saying that all of the promises of God find their yes in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That, that we, when we work by, on the mission of of not only in our own lives, but helping others confess Jesus as Lord and humbly bow their knee to him as Lord. We are bringing glory to God the Father. That's how we live to bring glory to God. So here's, I want you to just take two minutes, um, and, and, then we'll, and we'll go into our time of response. So in your second table talk question, it says this. If seeing people come to faith in Christ, bow and confess, is what brings God the most glory, it, what are some ways you can get better at telling his glory story? So I just want you to just, like, really quick at your table, what are some ways that you can get better? Places, opportunities, maybe habits that you're building? Just share some ideas. Quick. Two minutes. Go.
30 seconds. 30 seconds. Okay, so how do we get better? Just some really quick ideas. How can we get better at sharing God's glory story? Not everyone at once. Kim. Okay, so I just saw, um, so what Kim was saying was if you have the opportunity, if, the, if you feel like the Holy Spirit's giving you an opportunity to just pray for someone, like at a park, at a store, whatever, just, or even today during our fellowship meal, pray for them. Good. What else? Being under Adam. the influence of Being under the influence of a changed life. Good. And we're gonna, that's going to lead us into communion, so hang on to that thought, Tony. <laughs> Don't. Good. Don't assume that everybody knows the gospel. Don't assume, especially in our culture now. Don't assume that everybody even knows who Jesus is. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I probably the handyman business. So that's a good thing to do. Yeah, I, it's a friend of mine, Daryl. He's a, a, a not so retired pastor, and he said I, I started a handyman business in his retirement, so he still had a way to meet new people and tell them about Jesus, and he does. Um, that's awesome, Lynette. Letting go of fear. Yeah, absolutely. It goes back to that first point about humility, right? Like, like part of our problem is because we, we live in self. We are self-righteous. We are worried about self, like what people think of us. So we're afraid if we actually say, hey, can I pray for you right now? What they might, th- you know, in the name of Jesus, they might, what they might think of us. Good, which is the opposite of humility. So in our own time, giving the glory to God, and I, and I love where Christian went with that, because again, even in our spiritual disciplines, our, our tendency, all of us, our tendency is to make it about us, right? Like, like give me a word today, because I really need some encouragement, Lord, as opposed to going, man, let me, just show me who you are. Good. What was that again, Evan? Teach them how to repent and believe. Awesome. I love that. It was one of this week's readings, right? In Isaiah, the, when Philip is, you know, like goes to the, um, to the Ethiopian eunuch. And he's like, hey, do you know what you're reading? He's like, well, how would I unless you tell me what it is? That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. Awesome. Hey, I'm going to, um, we're going to go into our time of, of response. And I'm going to have, we're going to have couples serve communion today. It's, which is something we used to do a long time ago. Um, it should be interesting in this little space. So if I would have those couples can come up and kind of get themselves situated while I just sort of review what we talked about. But guys, the, the bottom line is, I hope what you heard today was not, I need to, I need to in my own will, and my own strength, I need to try to be more humble, be more like Jesus. Be, what, what I hope you heard was, spend time basking in the glory of God. That ultimately, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the word of God alone, you you have been saved. 
for one purpose, and that is for the glory. It, it was not for your good. It was for God's glory. Your good is in it, but it's a byproduct. It is good to be in the glory of God, right? Like, and, oh, by the way, we need moments like this, not only to be reminded of that, like from the word, but be reminded of that in our togetherness. There's a reason that, that after the Spirit came at Pentecost and the church was started, in Acts chapter 2 it says that day by day attending to the temple and together breaking bread in their homes. So they were worshiping together here. They were worshiping together out in their homes. It says they received food with gladness and generous, of heart, and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those that were being saved. What was it that God was using to attract people to the good news of the gospel? It was the unity of a bunch of hum people willing to humble themselves even to the point of death, gathering together around God's table. Right? That's ultimately what communion, the, the, the reason we do communion here almost every week is because like no other time in our service, it should point us back to the glory of what we just read. That, that though he is God, he did not hold on to being fully God, but he humbled himself to become flesh, that he could die on a cross. Right? That's what communion celebrates, and I know you know that, but it is ultimately a family meal. Did you know that? Like Communion is meant for God's people to gather around God's table to be reminded that, that when you take the cup here in just a minute, and you're just going to go to whatever place is closest to you and work your way around your tables how you can, but because as you take the cup and the, and, the, and the couples lead you through communion, remember that it is his body broken, his blood shed, and as we're doing that, what did Jesus say? As often as you take this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I return. He's saying you are pointing your mind back to glory. What I could have probably just said today and, and not spent the last 45 minutes talking about is just said, our problem is we spend most of our time looking around. We do. Kingdom people, living by kingdom power for kingdom glory, look up. And we need to keep looking up more than now more than ever. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for um, who you are. I thank you for this. Um, just this moment that we get to enter into communion with you. We get to be reminded of the reality that you humbled yourself even to the point of death on a cross. We get reminded of what that death accomplished, the atonement of sin, the payment. It is finished, paid in full. That doesn't happen unless you willingly went to the cross. That's an amazing story. That is a glory. That is the glory story. Help us, by your power in us, to live that glory story. Even as we gather around your table right now, in Jesus' name, amen.